start off in Galatians chapter 1, then I'm going to go over to Acts 15. And so, in our discussions that we have going on this year on Wednesday nights in Grow, it's about the beginning of a movement. And one of the things that I've been stressing is the beginning of the Christian movement in that early, early first century. Um, and in the fall time, I dealt a lot with Jesus, and now I'm dealing with the church, a lot of it in the book of Acts and other places. And so, uh, what I want to talk about is remember that the church wasn't called the church per se that much. They used the term uh, early on. They weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. And so I want to talk about tonight the way uh, at, a crossro- at the crossroads. Uh, a few weeks ago when I was preaching on Sunday mornings, um, and I was preaching the series, They Saw Jesus, They Saw Him Alive. And I preached about James. And I talked from Acts 15 about the conference that James uh, oversaw and their understanding of reaching Gentiles. So I'm going to refer to that in a minute. So I want, to, I want to give you a little bit of historical stuff and, and, and kind of some understanding because I think sometimes uh, what we do oftentimes in Christianity is we come to a scriptural passage, we take it in a vacuum out of where it is, we move it out of context, not just the book, but most of these New Testament passages have connection points to other New Testament passages. You know, Paul wrote letters, and most of the letters he wrote are set in the time frame of what happened in the book of Acts. So, so all that matters, connections to that. Uh, a lot of things that we see um, in Acts, build off things that Jesus said uh, in the Gospels. And uh, the people who led the way, there's connecting points. And so we need to understand that contextually, how those things bump up. And one of the things we need to realize, it was always God's plan from the very beginning of time, once sin entered to the world, to find a way to bring salvation to mankind. And from the Old Testament perspective, we get so caught up in a special people Israel, and those were his chosen people, we forget he chose them for the purpose of helping everyone come to him. The Israelites, the Jewish people, were supposed to be the avenue that helped all people come to God. He set them apart to be holy and distinct because in a world consumed by sin, in a world totally infected by rebellion, he needed to have one group of people that are pure pull out of that so they could then influence a lost and dying world back to God. The problem was the Jews failed miserably. Now, God always knew they would fail. His ultimate plan always had been, it wasn't a secondary plan. From the very beginning, his plan was Jesus. It's mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. I'm one of those people that believe in Genesis 3. We have the first preaching of the gospel. I just, just, he talks about it. When he called Abram, he said that all the nations of the world will be blessed. What does that mean? It's pointing to Jesus. I've said this a million times already. I may be exaggerating. The Old Testament points to Jesus. You've got to understand that. If you don't grasp that, you miss so much information that can be great importance to us. When Jesus came into the world, it was always his plan to save mankind. God so loved the Jews that he sent his only begotten son. No, no, no. God so loved the world. It's always the world. Now, it was through the Jews. Jesus said he came to the Jews first. Paul said he came to the Jews first. Yes. But that doesn't exclude the rest of us. So, when you read what Jesus says, he says, love God, love other people. That's a command. Love everyone. And then he says two things. At one point he said, go make disciples. Go to all the nations and make disciples. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them and teach them. Go make disciples of everybody. 
And then he says in Acts, in Matthew 28, and then in Acts 1, he says, you'll be my witnesses, start off in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the world. That's always his plan. So at some point, the Christian movement, the way, has to begin to reach Gentiles. It starts off Jewish. It is primarily Jewish until it's no longer primarily Jewish, but primarily Gentile. There's a sense in which, because of the ways the Jews as a group, through the religious leaders, rejected Jesus, that it was inevitable that there was going to come a point when, when the Jewish people who were not followers of Christ would begin to persecute those who were. It was also for the sheer fact that the number of Jews was vastly limited, limited that it could never simply be Jewish only and reach outward. It had to go Gentile. But here's the interesting thing. What's going to happen once you reach Gentiles? And this is interesting do you know when Jesus told them to go reach everybody, he never told them how they were to do it or how were they to set up the church in the system of reaching all those people. In other words, when Jews go to reach Gentiles in the Old Testament times, you come in the, you come in the New Testament and you see people that are God-fearers, they had to some way kind of convert to Judaism. They had to accept the Jewish way of doing things. It was inevitable that Jewish believers would eventually think Gentile believers would have to become Jewish believers first. In other words, they would have to kind of become Jewish. Not saying it was inevitable from the apostle standpoint, but one of the major clashes, one of the major themes in Acts, and we saw it a few weeks ago and we're seeing it today, is that Jews believed that Gentiles had to be circumcised and they had to follow the Jewish law and ritual in order for them to truly be followers of Christ. Here's the cool thing. Jesus never addressed that. He never told them how to deal with that problem. He left it up to the apostles to figure it out as they went. You understand? Most of what the church did, what Peter did, and then James did, and then Paul had to do, and John, they had to figure this out as they went. They made it up as they were going along. It's an amazing thing. You go back, what did Jesus tell them? Nothing. Nothing. He told them nothing about church structures. He doesn't mention pastors. He doesn't mention elders. He doesn't mention deacons. He doesn't mention the WMU. He doesn't mention anything. None of it. He doesn't tell them about taking offerings. He doesn't tell them what day of the week to meet. He didn't talk about Sunday school. He didn't talk about any of that stuff. He left it up to these guys. And they had to figure it out. And it causes this tension and this conflict that you see throughout the New Testament. And it's an amazing thing to see how they figured it out. And the reason that's important is because the way they figured it out in the leadership of the Holy Spirit gives us incredible insight into how we as a church are to function. So we come to the book of Galatians. Galatians is a fascinating book. There's a lot of controversy over when Paul wrote it. This is probably the first book Paul wrote. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm going to go through part of chapter 1. So here's the thing. Galatians is about the fact that Jews come to the Gentiles in, 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 in Galatia, which is Asia Minor, Turkey. Paul's first missionary journey, found over there in Acts 13, 14, right in there, was to Asia Minor, to Turkey. Jews believe primarily Gentiles believe. So it's primarily Gentiles. Guys came from Jerusalem who were Christians but who were Jewish, and they told them, you got to become 
Jews. You've got to be circumcised, obey the law of Moses, all that stuff. Which caused great controversy. You've got to understand, the Gentiles had no desire to become Jewish. Who would want to be Jewish? I don't want to be Jewish. I don't want to go through all that mess. They, they, the, the Jewish religion was already messed up. It was, it was a religion of rules and regulations. The Gentiles had that. Christianity set them free. They were not coming to Christianity if they had to become Jews. And Paul understood that. So he writes Galatians to deal with that. There's some controversy about when did he write Galatians. If you look at what we're going to see in Acts 15 in just a minute, that probably occurred about 49 A.D. Paul, when he writes the book of Galatians, deals with the exact same thing that is mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Only he never mentions it. Which leads many, including myself, to believe that he wrote Galatians before he wrote Acts, before Acts 15 occurred, Jerusalem Council. Some think that Paul wrote Galatians much later, about 10 years later. However, if you wrote Galatians 10 years later, why wouldn't he mention the solution to the very problem that we're going to see? Now, I'll talk about that more in a minute. I just want you to get this context. Also, when you read the book of Galatians, it sounds like something that was written early, early on. Some of Paul's later books are a little more polished. The things he deals with, Galatians, he's dealing a lot with his credibility, which he does in other books. So let me start off. Let's kind of set that up. So here's the thing. Paul, an apostle, notice what he says. I'm sent from men, nor through the agency of men. No one set me aside. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul says, I got called by Jesus. Now, if Paul wrote this about 49 or so, Paul was probably saved around 34 AD, right in there. Maybe a little bit earlier. We know from Acts chapter 11, which is mentioned here in Galatians chapter 1, that he went to Jerusalem quickly. And then he came back about 14 years later, which is mentioned in Acts, uh, uh, Acts chapter 12. Uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 11, and then here in Galatians chapter 2. So he made two visits to Jerusalem and all that before Acts 15. But, you know, early on, he went, but these guys had nothing to do with his credentials. Peter and James had nothing to do with Paul's salvation and Paul's calling. He was called purely by Jesus Christ. He is an apostle. He holds the apostolic office. By the way, the apostolic office ended when John died. He was the last of the apostles. There are no more apostles. I know people preach that, people teach that, they're teaching you wrong, they're preaching wrong. When someone calls themselves the apostle, nada. Apostle means to be sent, and if you want to say we're all apostles, that's good. Either everybody's an apostle or no one's an apostle. Just that simple. And he talks about the God who raised him from the dead. He said, to all the brethren who are with me, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, all the churches in Galatia, Asia Minor, Turkey, Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He gave himself for our sins. It is through Jesus giving himself for our sins. According to the will of the Father, we are saved. Nothing else saves us. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. He sets that up. He's setting up his credentials. There are other places he has to set up his credentials. He does that in 2 Corinthians because they're attacking him. As you read more of the book of Galatians, especially in chapter 1, the first part of chapter 2, he has laid a lot of groundwork, which is something you would do early on. Remember, Paul, most people remember Paul, this brilliant guy from when he was persecuting Christians. And then, you know, he's saved. They haven't heard anything for 14 years. And now all of a sudden, Paul pops up. He's going to Asia Minor, starting churches. And now Paul's in the middle of controversy. Paul has to lay out his 
you know, his authenticity, his authority. So in the book of Galatians, he goes to great lengths to do that. And he separates himself from the church of Jerusalem. He says, they have nothing to do with my authenticity or my authority. He says that later on. We're not going to read that. I'm just telling you that. So notice what he says in verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, that is Jesus, who called you by the, that is God, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You are deserting who? God. Who did what? He called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. The term different gospel means another of a different type of gospel. Gospel is good news. So he's saying this. You've abandoned God. Now, this is the thing. So here's what happens. You know, there's some more stuff in Galatians that help us realize that. After Paul went to Asia Minor, people came Christians, started the churches. He left right behind him. Guys came, word spread. Guys came from Jerusalem. And they started teaching, you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the law in order to be a follower of Christ. They said, that is compatible with the message of Jesus. That is part of the gospel good news. Paul says it is a different gospel all together. And when you believe that, you have deserted, you have abandoned God who called you through Jesus. Notice, God called you. You didn't call God. Now remember, the Jewish way was a way of works. You do certain things. You get circumcised. You keep the law of Moses. You keep the, the, all, all the ceremonial laws. You do this, you're good with God. And Paul's saying, that's not how it works. That's not how grace works. See, you do all that stuff, you're choosing God. Okay, I'm going to be circumcised, I'm choosing God. I, I'm going to keep the law of Moses, I'm choosing God. And Paul says, you don't choose God. He chose you in Christ through grace. Why are you leaving that behind? And then he says this, which is really not another or another gospel. He says it's a different gospel, but really it's no gospel at all. It's another gospel that's not gospel. Only there are some who say, he says, who are disturbing you and want to distort or pervert the gospel of Christ. They are twisting the gospel of Christ. They are perverting it. They are distorting it. So here's the thing. I read a lot of stuff in the world we live in. Our culture is all concerned about what it means to be Jesus. All of a sudden, for a culture that keeps wanting to reject Christ, everybody's concerned about who's Christian and who isn't. And people keep coming up and giving us their version of what it means to be a Christian. If you do this, you can't possibly be a Christian. If you do that, you can't possibly be a Christian. And if you think this, and if you think that, and all of it's garbage, all of it's garbage, the only criteria for being a, follower, of being a Christian is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. There are evidences of you being a Christian. Has nothing to do with the way you vote. Has nothing to do with your political views. Has to do with whether or not you love God and love people. And live in conformity to loving God and obeying him and loving people. Everything else is a perversion of the gospel. 
I get friends all the time who send me little anecdotal things and questions and how can you do this and how can you do that and all that other stuff. And my response is usually this. I care about one thing. Do you follow Jesus? And is the evidence you you follow in Jesus your love for God and your love for people? Honestly, I don't really care about the rest. You know what I've noticed? And some of you older, Doug, you can probably fill me on this. The older I get, the less I care. Is it you that way? You don't care, do you? You don't care. Jim, you don't even remember. How could you even care? Notice. I'm sorry. That was just too easy. See, the secret to comedy is to set up your own joke. But even if we, or, Paul says, even if me, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you there, he is to be accursed or anathema. You know what that means? He's to be damned in hell. It literally means this. If I was writing a South Texas version of this, he can go to hell. That's what it means. He'd go to hell. Period. As they said before, so I say again. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you just see, he is to be accursed. He's repeated himself. It's emphatic. You get the picture. So verse 10. Am I seeking the favor of men or of God? If I'm striving to please men? No, no, no. If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I am a servant of Jesus. I am preaching truth. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you in on something that I'm going I'm I'm to say this a bunch Sunday. And I'm going to give you a preview of why I'm saying Sunday. Here's this. Truth creates tension. You should write that down. It's a brilliant statement I made up in my office Monday. I probably heard it somewhere, but at my age, I don't remember where I heard it, so I take full credit for it. <laughs> Paul's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel. Other people preached a false gospel. He was hard on them. He wasn't hard on the lost. No, 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 no. He wasn't hard on people who were not followers of Christ. No, 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 no. Paul was always hard on believers who perverted the truth. He was never hard on unbelievers. Truth creates tension. So go to Acts chapter 15. Paul probably wrote Galatians from... Most likely Antioch, maybe Jerusalem. People have different opinions. It only matter where he wrote it. Right before the events of chapter 15. In chapter 14, Paul comes back to Antioch from the mission field of Asia Minor, where he were like Galatians. Gentiles are coming. People are excited. Antioch's exploding with excitement. And some of the guys who had gone to Asia Minor to deal with the Gentile problem now go to Antioch. See, they're starting to panic because their world's being changed. So Christianity's only been around 20 years, but it's Jewish. And they have their traditions. They have their sacred cows. They have their beliefs. And all these Gentiles coming in, these lost people coming in, they're changing things up and they don't like it. Does that ever sound familiar in the world of Christianity and the church? Only for 2,000 years. And so these people are saying, we've got to get a hold of this. And they're going to get a hold of it. They go to Antioch and say, no, no, no. You've got to become believers. You've got to become Jews. Then you can be a believer in Christ. 
And so, chapter 15. So men came down from Judea, verse 1, and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You got that? You cannot be saved unless, what? You're circumcised according to the custom. You just added works to the law, to, the, to grace. Blows it up. And Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with him. I can only imagine how that was like. And the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. And therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia Samaria. They were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Everybody was excited. Gentiles are coming to Jesus. Everybody's excited. Then they arrived at Jerusalem. And they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, those doggone Pharisees, even when they become Christians, they're problem makers, aren't they? They had believed. They stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them. And to direct him to observe the law of Moses. This is the critical point of the Christian church. And what happens after this forever changes Christianity. Because if the Jews require, if, this, if they require circumcision and being Jewish to be a believer, they will lose the Gentile message. It's gone. Now, Paul wouldn't have followed it anyways. I say that knowing fully well, Paul would have said, drop dead, I'm gone, see you later, I'm out the door, I'm going to do them. So um, Gentiles would have still come to Christ because Paul would have still done that. You've got to understand, Paul was bound to no man. But we still need to understand, this is the issue. If they make this decision and everybody agrees to it, church Christianity's basically three. And so you're going to have three major players, Paul, James, and, and Peter, who I preached about in, in um, in, in January, and I'm not going to go over everything I said, because uh, that, that sermon, you can go back over that, but I need to, you need to get this. So the verse 6, the apostles and elders came together to look at the matter. And after much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. By the mouth of the Gentile, by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he says, God made a choice. I preached to the Gentiles. They believe. You know that. And God knows the heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, as he did to us. He gave them the Holy Spirit. They're already saved. Hey, if you got the Holy Spirit, you're saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. If you believe you're saved and you don't get the Holy Spirit till later, as some Christian groups believe, guess what? You're wrong. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. You don't get saved over here and then get the Holy Spirit at some point down there. That's not biblical. That is heresy. Sorry. Truth creates tension, but not with me. And he made no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples the yoke neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We can't keep the law. Why are you putting it on their neck? But we believe we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. So are they. It's Peter. 12 says they all kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul. They were relating the signs and wonders what God had done through them among the Gentiles. And James is going to speak. So this is important. So here you have Peter, James, and Paul. Peter 
The guy who was with Jesus for all those years, who Jesus basically said, Peter, when I'm gone, you know, you're, there's, there's, there's a bunch of, there's 12 of you apostles, you know, Judas is gone, add another, I'll add some more. You're heading up this organization. You're, you're, you're the head honcho early on. Now, some people don't like that. We Baptists don't like to make too much of Peter, but just read the scriptures. Peter, Peter was the lead dog in that race. He just was. Look, I don't care. You're always going to have a leader. You put 10 leaders together, someone's going to lead the leaders. Somebody always leads. Then you had Paul, brilliant mind. Paul's the smartest man in the room. You know how sometimes you think you're the smartest man in the room, and you are until someone else comes into the room? Paul was always the smartest man in the room. Brilliant mind. And there's James. Brother of Jesus. But he was the head of the church of Jerusalem. He was the pastor of the group. You know, Paul was the fiery one. Peter was kind of fire. James was the calm one. So here comes James. It's great. Simeon. Brothers, listen. Simeon is related to how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles the people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree. And then he quotes from Amos. And then verse 19. Therefore it is my judgment. We do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Don't make it difficult for the Gentiles to be saved. He wouldn't quote Jesus. Notice what he says. It is my judgment. Mine. Based on scripture. Based on all that is seen. Based on what Peter told us. Based on what Paul told us. Based on what Amos said. It's my judgment. Don't make it hard for Gentiles to be saved. This didn't come from Jesus. This is not found in the Gospels. They made this up. As they went along. You know what's amazing? Is how strategic the early church was. And at the same time how flexible they were in their strategy. You know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in being strategic. And, 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 uh, and intentional. But at some point I always know. You know what you eventually just got to do. You can't solve everything. You can't think of everything. Can't solve every problem. At some point, you just got to go and figure out as you go. You know, this whole four service we're doing, uh, we've had people ask me questions, and all of us, well, how about this? What about that? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. Some of the things people ask me questions, I simply don't know. Doesn't mean I'm not thinking strategically. We are. It doesn't mean we're not intentional. It doesn't mean we don't know some things. We just don't know everything. You know what we'll do? Some of the stuff, we just got to figure it out when it happens. I, what if we get so many people that that service is overflowing? Then we got another service. Through by two, you know? Don't buy one, through by two. Yeah? You'll be free by three. No more after four. I mean, there comes a point when I ain't preaching no more. Sometimes, even in the midst of all of our strategy and all our intentionality, we got to let God take us down the path. And we'll come across obstacles. And the Holy Spirit will tell us how to get past the obstacle. But quit worrying about the obstacles before you come to them. Let's just get to them. Some people are like, well, this might happen and that might happen and this could happen. Let's just don't do anything. Well, that's not a good strategy. That's just dumb. Sometimes, just go. Be strategic. Be intentional, have excellence. We preach all these things, but at some point, go. And when obstacles come, you know what you do? You trust the Lord who got you that far to get you past the obstacle. 
James was a strategic thinker. He knew there'd be problems. So look what he tells the Gentiles. We're not going to make it hard for you to be saved. Uh, but verse 20. But we'll write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations in every city, has been preached to them since he has read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, there's a great controversy. I'm going to take a few extra minutes, Brian. hope you don't mind, because sometimes... You take extra time on Sunday, you know, here and there you steal a minute or two, and over two years it's added up to two and a half hours of time you've stolen from my preaching. So I'm taking back some of that right now, brother. Mike never takes time. Never takes time. Doesn't feel like he has to pray an extra five minutes because I don't know what I'm doing like you think. Lord, I'm going to pray because obviously the pastor doesn't know what he's doing, so the music guy is going to pray. I'm just kidding. Your prayers are really good. I appreciate your prayers. Appreciate the short ones more than the long ones. <laughs> so some people, what, some people, it, it, the popular view is this was a compromise because you had to give the Jewish believers something. Well, maybe I, I, this, this whole idea that they had to compromise about the meat offered to the idols and the fornication. Well, first place, fornication was wrong. Period. So the sexual sin was not a compromise. That was period. But the meat strangled in the blood and. And strangled or cooked in the blood, because that's Jewish dietary laws. The problem isn't that they were trying to do some things to compromise to the Jewish believers. The problem is all of the things that James mentioned were part of the pagan lifestyle. Of course they would be offensive to Jews. They would be offensive to all believers. So he says this. Remove yourselves from anything to do with idols. A lot of them, you know, they grew up in their culture. They have family, still pagans. Let's go, let's go over to Uncle Ed's house. And yeah, Uncle Ed's a pagan. And, and, and if your name's Ed, I'm not saying you're a pagan. You might be, but I'm not saying you are. And, and yeah, and then they cooked the meat off. You know, they strangled the meat. And they cooked it in the blood. What? But it's okay. We're believers now. And James is saying, understand this. You've got to remove yourself from that lifestyle which would end up in fornication, by the way. Remember what I said a few weeks ago. Don't make it difficult for people to come to Christ, but once you come to Christ, you've got to leave your old lifestyle behind. That's what that means. Not only is simpler. And you, you can do a lot of reading, and you'll get all sorts of complicated theories, and that's fine. That's okay. They may be right. I could be wrong. Don't make it difficult, church, for people to be saved. But hey, you know what? Once you're saved... You leave your old lifestyle behind. You don't have to leave your lifestyle behind before you get saved. And we, we teach that for, for generations. I can remember in the church, you got to leave behind your whole lifestyle for God will accept you. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't ever work that way. You ought to leave that behind. It's wrong. I mean, yeah, I would encourage you not to live that way. Period. It's healthy for you not to live that way. But that's not what makes you acceptable to God because nothing makes you acceptable to God. So don't think that when I say this that I don't think people who live in, sin, in some sort of sinful life shouldn't leave that sinful life behind whether they're a follower of Christ or not, they should. It's just they don't have to do that to be saved. They have to be saved so they can live that life, leave that life behind. This is why the way was at a crossroads. And without any direction from Jesus but only from the movement of the Holy Spirit. 
they understood perfectly what had to be done. And think about, church didn't make this up. All the liberals out there saying, well, you know, all the people who reject scriptures, when I say liberals, I don't mean political liberals, I mean people who reject from the Christianity uh, uh, the scriptures and say it's not really written, you know, by the Holy Spirit and people who are skeptics deny it. And they, all the folks said the early church came up with that. How would the early church come up with that? You don't think that on your own. That only comes from the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is what it tells us. We go out and help people come to Jesus. And when we come across obstacles, we trust God to get us past them. We rely on the word. Yeah, yep, yep. We rely on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we just don't rely on me. That, that's not good. But we have to have enough confidence in God that he will get us past the obstacles. That's what the early church did. And as a result of that, we know that we don't need to make it hard for people to come to Jesus. But once they come to Jesus, we need to help them leave the old life behind. Do you have any questions? It only took four minutes of your time. Joe is thinking I should go to 715. There's tension, and Mike's separating them right now. That's Mike's, uh, Mike is Switzerland between the Germans and the Italians in World War II. You're dismissed. We'll see you later.